Welcome to the GoBundance Podcast, the audio channel for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic lives. You know, the problem with most successful guys is they are awesome, yet at the same time, they suck. <laughs> They're too one-dimensional. Like, they have big, fat money, but also a big, fat gut. <laughs> or the opposite. They may look good as hell naked, but if you look in their savings account, they're as broke as a $3 watch. Some may have both muscle strength and financial strength, but they've been divorced five times and their kids don't even speak to them. Some have huge smiley family portraits in their foyer, but not a single friend that's honest and objective with them. Some may be gregarious as hell, surrounded by people and hugs galore, but their charitable giving is shameful. Come on, man. Really? That's all you gave back? I think you get my point by now. At GoBundance, we know we're not perfect, but our goal is to be better. Better multidimensionally in six simple categories. We call these our pillars. Number one, horizontal income. Number two, age-defying health. Number three, bucket list adventures. Number four, genuine contribution. Number five, authentic relationships. And number six, extreme accountability. So speaking of number six, let's dig into this week's interview with a GoBro. And you can tell me. Is he walking the talk or is he a false prophet? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the GoBundance podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Gruber. And today we've got a special GoBro, a man who's started 50 companies, written 12 books. And I love this one. He started his own martial art. Welcome, Damian Lupo. Glad to have you. What's up, my bald brother? Jamie, it's good to see you. Can't tell. The hat. The hat's blocking the beautiful baldness, man. Don't be, don't be ashamed of it. Don't be you know what? We're going to go full bald. In honor. Now there, there we are. For all you guys watching. Now, so right. Practically twins. I just need a goatee and we'll be the same person. So, <laughs> so incredible couple of bullets to kind of intro you, but I want to go deeper. So give us the story of you. What's, uh, where are you from? Where you been? And what are you doing today? Man, I just hate, I hate being told what to do. And I, I hate being told what I can't do. So when I was a kid, I, I remember the messaging. And I think a lot of people have this. The message is, we don't have enough money or we can't do that. We can't afford it. And that just pissed me off. So I remember my first entrepreneurial memory. It's like people say, well, I remember the womb. I don't remember the womb. But I do remember age 11 when, when my parents told me that we didn't have enough money to even buy groceries, which led to me buying my own groceries within about a year and getting a full-time job. But I, I said, well, that means that we can't buy Nintendo games. At 11, that was the most important thing. And so I started a business buying and selling Nintendo games and hired my parents to drive me around because at 11, it's hard to get around in Alaska in the snow buying games if you don't have a car. So that was when it started. And it was really just me solving a problem, which as entrepreneurs, we're solving problem, whether it's housing for people or some business that's going to solve a need where people believe that the service or product is more valuable than the dollars. And I just kept doing that over and over. So obviously that led to me getting thrown out of college because I put the bookstore on campus out of business, trying to do better by the, by the kids on campus and paid for college in a week, but got thrown out of school. But I just, that was the, that was the, the thing. Like I, I had to do it and it, you know, it, it led to not really not finishing college and, and launching lots of businesses. And with 50 companies, many of those flopped. And that's, that's part of the journey that's really important for people to really understand. It doesn't mean that as an entrepreneur, things are going to work. They, they more often don't work. I love that. What's, a bigger, what's one of the bigger flops you had? In 2008, I had a, a, a pretty significant real estate portfolio that I built up basically just buying houses. I had a $20 million portfolio. 
And I took that $20 million portfolio and turned it into negative five in 12 months. So lost 25 million in 12. And that was a pretty big flop and a huge opportunity. It was like a double PhD in stupid and moronic in 12 months. Like it was very exciting to go through it. On the other side, in the middle of it, I just ignored the fact that I had lost everything plus 5 million. And, you know, that. Yeah. So I, I wanted to jump in on it because what were, what were some of the, like you said, stupid or whatever, like what were some of the lessons? I mean, that timing wasn't great, I guess. Right. So the, the time that it happened, but what are two, three takeaways that you had from then that you've applied now or whatever the case may be? Well, one of the problems is I, I, there was nobody bald in my life. And, and when I say that I wasn't bald yet. Although on the other side of that, I got bald pretty quick because the stress of losing that much money and having everybody mad at you, a lot of investors that were really upset. And I was like, I am too. And I get it. And I'm, I apologize, but there's, there's nothing you can do when the economy collapses. And, and it wasn't the economy's fault. It was my fault. And it was my fault because I didn't keep people around me that were smart enough and bald enough that had cycle wisdom. They didn't have experience, emotional intelligence, or I didn't, they had it. I just didn't have those people around me. And I needed that. I thought I knew everything because the problem with success is you, you grow 10 feet tall and bulletproof, and then a tsunami comes and drowns you. And that was what that was what my journey was. It was okay. I need to I need to learn that I don't know as much as I think I know, and I need to keep people around me that have been around for decades more that can see further into the past. And so that was a huge one. My my ego took over, and I'd made tens of millions of dollars, and thought, oh, I can do no wrong. Well, guess what? The universe had another idea. So that's that. That was the big the big takeaway. Is I I was the smartest guy. I was the the smop, the smartest man on the planet, but I was definitely the smartest person in the room. And, and that, that's a huge problem, especially as we develop bigger net worths and more bling and just more life. Uh, we tend to think we're pretty smart. Like, oh yeah, I get this. And the reality is we're, we have blind spots. We all, we all need coaches. We all need people sh- saying, hey, here's what I'm seeing. You're missing it. Yeah, that makes sense. The, the, the other thing you mentioned was just like this sort of, uh, this, I don't know, oppositional defiance that you had in you, right? Like you don't like being told what to do. It kind of launched your entrepreneurial career. Love that you hired your parents, by the way. That's awesome. That's a, a little one-liner you dropped in there that's, that's jarring. You don't think it walked past me. That was like, wow, pretty cool. Nice job with that. Do you think, and we've had this debate with a one or two other, not debate, but discussion with one or two other guests. Uh, do you think entrepreneurs are born or can they be bred? I think they're, they can definitely be bred. And, and I, I say that, in my environment, either that or I was adopted. Nobody told me because my siblings are totally opposite. I mean, nothing like me. And, and it was that one of the interesting things, and I don't know what the answer is because you can tell kids, you can nurture them and say yes to them, or you can say no. And people argue both ways. I think the fact that I was told no really pushed me. I could have been told no and turned into just a little, you know, corner dwelling, thumb sucking, you know, placebo or whatever. Like I could just be doing nothing because I was so scared. And instead I got, it made me so mad that I went and pushed past it and broke free of this massive weight that was on me. So I don't know what the answer is, but I definitely made that choice. And part of it was just irritation. So are they born? I don't, I don't think so. I think they're, they're nurtured. Look at, look at Trump's kids. Like they're all very savvy. They're very smart. They're successful. It's not just because they had a very wealthy family, but there was some nurturing involved. Were they born that way? I don't know if you dropped them into in the middle of the Sahara, would they have shown up as entrepreneurs? Maybe, but doubtful. I think there was a lot of nurturing there. The, the, the being mad, being irritated, how that drove you. Does that still, is that still present today? Like, is that, is that what keeps you going? Is that an element that you've sort of harnessed uh, in a different way? Do you feel like it's healthy, unhealthy for you today? Kind of give me an idea of that because competitive fire and that sort of defiance 
it fuels a lot of us. But I'm curious where what relationship you have with that, you know, as an adult male, as opposed to back then when you were a little bit younger and kind of coming up through the entrepreneurial ring, ringer, as it would be. Well, so I, I, I've, after all of this experience of being a hothead and an egomaniac and everything, most people would experience me as a, a pretty grounded, calm person. But inside, there's a really, really angry fire at the tyrannical system that keeps people stuck. And it's the mission I have is what drives me. The mission is to unshackle a million people, to break those financial shackles, the bondage. Money is modern day slavery. And it makes me crazy. And and I do what I do, not so that I can make another million dollars, not so that I can go buy another car. It's because there's another starfish out there that's, that's dying in the sun on the beach. And I'm, my job is to find the starfish and as many starfish as I can find. This is the old story about that one starfish. It matters to the starfish. You get the starfish in the water. And it's, it's those people. Every time we work with somebody, and you know, a, lot of, a lot of the guys in, in the GoBundance community have, have realized that there's some options out there and to be able to help the guys. And I know that the guys, the entrepreneurial spirit, the more they're free, the more that they can spread the, the idea of freedom. So what drives me is all this oppression that's happening from the financial system, whether it's Wall Street or it's the Federal Reserve, the central banks, the fake money system. And, and so it's, the idea is the more I empower people to learn how to fish and understand how to fish and why they're fishing, and why the waves do the way, you know, what they do, that, that's why I'm here. It's, and it's, it makes me mad that so many people are focused on keeping people crushed. And so I, just, I wake up every day thinking, how can I empower more people? How can I, how can I grow the company? You know, we've got 17 full-time people now, and there was just me just a few years ago. Was, I was by myself, and, and, and the reason I bring more people on, well, for one, I, I love my people, so it actually makes it easier once you have some really cool people but it's because I know that I need help. And, and my ego before would have said, oh, you can do everything because you're so smart. Now I'm trying to get dumber. Like I need smarter people in me. And that, that's, it, it's because of the mission. The mission is the reason that we're, we're going to keep bringing on more people, that we're going to keep doing this, that I'll keep getting on planes. And it's, it's because it's bigger than me. And that's one of the secrets with being an entrepreneur. If it's just about the money, it's never going to be enough. The secret is it's got to be beyond you. It's got to be more than you. It's got to be something that potentially you can't even accomplish in your lifetime. Like Ted, Ted Turner's dad accomplished his mission and then died. And Ted said, I'm going to have a focus going forward on something I can't possibly accomplish in my life. And that's what keeps you going. If you accomplish it, you generally die. That's true. You hear that a lot, right? People retire, die within months after, after that. You talk about, uh, and I love the mission focus, by the way, but you talk about um, uh, the, the trying to unshackle people. That's kind of the, what the mission is. What are two or three things, two or three, I don't know, uh, misconceptions people have, or two or three things that you find yourself continually teaching people or trying to enlighten people to? If you could just sh share a couple of, couple of nuggets that people that are listening right now could say, yeah, teach me how to unshackle myself. What are some things you might say? Well, first off is the taxes are totally optional and, and people think that they're supposed to pay them or somehow that they're patriotic. And the, tax, the entire tax code is set up for people to not pay taxes and it incentivizes people to not pay taxes because people are doing what the government wants, like hiring people, like building real estate, those type of things that we do a lot with, with the GoBro community. And so one of them, and this is the main focus for what I do, it's, it's the EQRP, it's the retirement space where we help get people, we give them a tool, but we're really an education company. We're spending time educating people and empowering them so that they have options. And the option is you can set up retirement stuff. Retirement is just a, a code word for tax shelter, which is built into the system because Congress knows it's too inept to pay for everybody in retirement. So it says, please do good things when you're working and save up money and, and invest it. And what most people don't realize is you can do it 
without paying taxes completely, if you structure it right, which is what we do. And you can invest in things, not mutual funds. So you can actually go out there and invest in all sorts of things like crypto and real estate and gold and private lending and all these things. So just understanding that taxes are optional and your retirement is actually in your hands is, is a, major, a major focus. And most people don't have a clue that that's the option. They just have this idea that they're going to smoke a bunch of hopium and the mutual funds are going to show up at 60 and they're going to be big. And then they're scared to death they're going to lose them because they don't have any skills or tools to actually grow them. And so they go, now what do I do? They live in fear and panic. They're going to run out of money before they run out of life. So that's, that's probably the biggest thing that, that, that I'm, I'm focusing on, that, that we focus on, is to empower people with this tool. And then, so the other nugget, the other focus is to make sure that people are doing something. And I don't really care what it is. Usually I'll say, look, if you want to do something, you're not sure where to start, go buy an ounce of silver. And I don't say go buy an apartment building as your first step into financial freedom. I think that's crazy. You don't have any skills and you're just learning, but doing something gives you that, oh, this feels good. Like I want to go do it. It's like when you, you, go, you go have your first bit of passive income, super easy to do. Once you get a little bit, you're like, that was my money making money overnight when I slept. And then you're like, how do I do more of it? So it's the momentum piece. It's anything. And the, the fastest way I know to get anybody there is by doing what we do, which is being in a mastermind, being around people where it's automatic and it become, becomes normalized really fast. That's the best word for it. Normal. I say that people ask, like, you know, especially my, my sort of normal uh, sphere, like, what is this mastermind? I was like some Illuminati thing. Do you dance around with dead heads, horses heads on you? Like, what, what exactly is this thing? And I try to explain, like, you know, if I'm around people that are doing things at a level that I, I want to achieve, it becomes normal. If I know people that have $2 million sitting, sitting ready to invest, that's not normal for me in my regular life, then it becomes uh, attainable. All of a sudden, you know, my accounts are growing. Or if I know people that have 100 doors or 200 doors, all of a sudden getting to 30 and 40 doors for me, which is where I am, becomes like, oh, okay, yeah, that seems normal. Whereas three years ago, 40 doors, oh my God, that, that's insane, right? So that normalcy you get with proximity is pretty, is pretty interesting. On the taxes thing, I love how you called it. Like some people say it's patriotic. I had this discussion with Pat Hyben, who's driving around somewhere. I can't even remember where now, but he was saying, yeah, you know, maybe the tax code needs to change. And I, I don't know. My argument was, look, I, I, to your point, taxes are, taxes are optional, especially income tax. And we're incentivized, we're incentivized to, to, to buy things that allow us to, to not pay income tax. But I still pay a lot of money in property tax. I still pay a lot of money in other ways that, that funds a lot more than the person paying you know, 25% of $40,000 a year. So the whole idea of taxes are optional. I think people, people vilify you know, the wealthy or Trump or whomever for saying, oh, I only paid $750 a year in taxes. Um, but the amount of, of jobs, the people that, uh, that I employ, you employ, the, the, uh, the food on the table, along with the local services provided by the property taxes I pay are, are tremendously impactful. Do you think the tax code needs to change? Do you think it's perfect? What, what do you say on that? I, I think it'd be great if it was a lot more simplified. And if it, in, in terms of Right now, it's so complex. There's massive industries around accountants and attorneys and lobbyists. And I, and I think ultimately it benefits, it benefits people that understand it, but who the hell actually understands it? Like it's, I have a, a, an okay grasp on it because I spend, I mean, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning reading tax code about my little niche in retirement space. And I spend a crap load of time reading it and working with accountants that are at the top of their game globally. And still it's, it's ominous. And so I think it, it, it could benefit for, I mean, some of the stuff in there doesn't make any sense. And so I think it would be valuable for people. There's never going to be a, an ultimately fair tax system. I mean, fair taxes is, is really no taxes. It's letting people do things with, of free will. 
but there, you know, I, I get it. There's going to be a tax system. Uh, one of the funny things about property taxes is I was after El Salvador said that Bitcoin is going to be legal tender. I started getting really curious about, Hmm, what's this property tax thing? Like they don't have property taxes. And then I realized I didn't know this. It was 11 or 13 different countries in the world don't have property taxes. And I thought, how interesting. I had no idea. So I've always had the, the opinion that you never own real estate because the government owns it. If you don't pay your property taxes, they take it. Somebody, it's like, you're just renting it from the government. That's actually not true, depending on the country you live in. So you actually could go to zero taxes if you went to a place. But I think the amount of brain damage that you'd have to in, endure with avoiding all taxes is, is not really worth it. It's, so do I enjoy paying taxes? Yeah, because I'm part of a, I'm part of a society and, and there are certain benefits to that. So I'm okay with that. I'm just not going to pay any optional taxes. Makes sense. I like that. All right, go bros. We have our 2022 couples trip of a lifetime. Here's the deal. When you think romance, the one country that comes to mind, we are talking about Italy. Here is the epic itinerary. Day one. This is April 1st, 2022. We're going to arrive in Florence and take a private transfer to the city center. There we're going to go on a guided walking tour of Florence. We're going to discover all kinds of ancient beginnings where we'll finish the day with a welcome dinner at a local restaurant. Day two. After breakfast, we're going to visit some historic workshops and learn about the ancient Florentine artisanal tradition. Then enjoy a special leather hands-on workshop. In the afternoon, challenge yourself to a hands-on Tuscan food cooking class and then feast on your creations for dinner. Day 3, April 3rd, we're hitting the countryside. In the company of your local art historian guide, visit a Galleria commissioned in 1560. Leonardo da Vinci, Botticelli, Tizzanio, Michelangelo, all have hung out in this joint here. After lunch, at your leisure, travel to the Tuscan countryside and check out your hotel and dinner at the Inner Restaurant. Day 4. A full day excursion to Siena. Today, soak up the medieval flavor of the city on this walking tour through city center. See Palazzo Publico, the colorful marble clad cathedral, and Piazzo del Campo, one of Italy's most beautiful squares. Then we're going to hit a leisurely bike ride through the vineyards, blanketing the surrounding landscape. Day 5. We are going to start the day by driving Fiat 500 cars along the enchanting roads of gorgeous Tuscan countrysides. And we're going to land in the Bocelli Vineyards. Yes, the Andrea Bocelli. His family is going to serve us wine and, and an incredible meal. Day 6. Transfer to Rome with a stopover in Orvieto. Orvieto is one of the most striking, memorable, and enjoyable hill towns in central Italy. Less than 90 minutes from Rome, it sits majestically high above a valley floor atop a big chunk of tufo volcanic stone. After lunch, we continue on 
to our hotel in Rome's historic center. Day 7. Wake up early and see the Sistine Chapel. Marvel at some of the world's most spectacular works at the Vatican Museums. Then visit St. Peter's Square in its soaring basilica. Of course, we will not miss the iconic Colosseum. The massive amphitheater that accommodated 50,000 spectators were gladiators prepared for battle. Next, be thrilled by a specially arranged visit inside formerly the Temple of Antonius. Here, enjoy a lecture on ancient Rome given by a prominent Roman art historian. Day 8, we reach Tivoli and visit the amazing Hadrian's Villa. After lunch at an enchanting local restaurant, we turn to Rome for a leisurely stroll through the charming neighborhood of Trastevere one of Rome's most authentic and vibrant areas. This epic adventure for you and your significant other covers all internal transfer, incredible, highly rated boutique accommodations. If you're ready to wow your significant other and show him or her how much you really love them, get signed up for Italy 2022. Wrong Tribe Confounds, The Right Tribe Compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires at $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. The, uh, you mentioned crypto. You mentioned El Salvador. I learned that at the, at the Bitcoin conference. Uh, it was announced there, and I guess it maybe it was announced a day or two before about uh, it recognizing Bitcoin as a legal tender. You know, you you you're obviously very tuned into the financial markets and and just money in general. Where do you see crypto? Is crypto the new exchange? Uh, uh, the new uh, reserve currency is crypto? Is it going to a million? Like, I'm just kind of curious. Your thoughts on crypto on on the dollar right now? What's happening with the printing and everything else? Just kind of your your thoughts in all of that area. So my, my thoughts are a combination of my own experiences and then being around super smart people. Like I was in Belize a couple of weeks ago and I spent a lot, several days one-on-one -on -one hanging out with Doug Duncan, who's the chief economist for Fannie Mae. He basically is the thinker for what Fannie Mae's policy is probably going to be. And Fannie Mae is the 800-pound gorilla in terms of real estate. So I am heavily influenced by somebody that is that smart and very open too. He's not He's not a wonk that just says, okay, this is the way it's going to be because that's the government policy. He actually is creating that with a, you know, this, this NGO sort of you know, this organization. Uh, where I see things going, I see that the dollar is, is going to end up collapsing. And it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be interesting because back in the 20s, we had the, the Deutsche Mark that got stronger before it went off a cliff. And it, before it got stronger, it was, it was, it, they were inflating it. And it was losing 10, 15, 20% per year, 50% per year, did that for three or four years. And then it got stronger. And then it went off a cliff and was, you know, it, it died. So it's likely we're going to do the same. The weird thing is that the dollar is, is likely to be the, the backstop where a lot of currencies collapse into the dollar. So the dollar could get stronger for a while because there's, everything is fiat, everything is fake. Yeah. And what everybody's doing, every central government, every central bank is doing is they're moving towards a, de a centralized digital currency, central bank digital currency. 
because they want the control. They know everything's, well, I mean, think about it. We don't actually use cash hardly at all. Like Southwest Airlines bans it. You must use a credit card. So it's all digital anyway. But the, the difference is this takes all of the, this takes the banks out of play. So when, when you, Jamie, and I have a, an account, we have an account directly with the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve just puts money in their, their coins, their Fed coins, if you will, and, and they monitor them. They can disappear them. They can say you have to spend them on this or that. And so it's a massive, amounts, uh, massive amount of surveillance capitalism. And so that's incredibly dangerous because you have dictators that can manipulate a society very easily. My suspicion is that we're going to have a war between freedom and tyranny based on the money. It's going to be Bitcoin and other, a lot of other projects and protocols are being built around freedom, about, around privacy. And I love the, all these, these morons that say, well, why does it matter? I mean, if, I, if you don't have anything to hide, why does it matter? If, if I, I go, look, you're part of the Facebook, and I know we're on Facebook Live, which is ironic, but you're, you're part of the Facebook generation where you put everything out, the color of your poop and you know, like yeah. what you spent your money on. And, and Venmo, and, and here it's public. Look, I just spent $50 at this, this strip club. What? You know, it's like people do all this stuff. And so they get used to it. Well, we're being trained to let go of liberty and let go of privacy and and it's and for in and, and we transfer it to security. So like right now with this whole pandemic thing, we're seeing a lot of that where people are letting go of their privacy and their liberty, and they're they're basically violating what Ben Franklin said two hundred years ago. Those that would give up liberty and freedom or uh, security deserve neither. And that's that's where I see this all going. I see us going into a war. I don't think that the banks and the central banks have the ability to compete fairly, but they never have. So my, my, my suspicion, my thesis is that we're going to have a war. We're going to have certain countries that are not going to join on the Joe Biden train and say, sure, let's tax everybody equally and let's enslave them equally. It'll be fair then, right? What they're going to say is they're going to be, they're going to be countries that are going to become havens and you're going to have capital fly there and you're going to have people start moving there in general. And the U.S. is going to choose a path. Are we going to lead or are we going to get crushed? I hope we lead because I really think that we have the potential to. We've, we've been this guiding light on the hill for for a long time, but we are at a pivotal moment where it may it may fade because we have leaders that that are you know they're 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 wolves they're communist wolves with sheep outfits on you know with with snappy suits. But the reality is uh, there is going to be a war, and you can already see it happening with Bitcoin with the regulators, and some of that's good. It when you have regulation, one of the great things about regulation is it makes very large institutions more comfortable with doing things because. They know what to expect. If you don't know what to expect, we have a hedge fund that we're, we're launching and we're not launching it yet on purpose because we don't exactly, we don't know, we don't really have a clue what the regulators are going to do. We need the CFTC and the SEC. We need some guidance. And so that's what's going to help a lot of big players beyond MicroStrategy and Fidelity and PayPal to really jump in. But we're also going to see countries, whether it's Argentina or Mexico, they're going to follow suit with El Salvador and what they did recently. So I think we're going to see a run and because the central banks are going to, it's going to take them years, like China with the yuan, the digital yuan, that's rolling out. But is somebody in the U.S. going to say, yeah, let's use the digital yuan, not a chance in hell. What, what is the U.S. going to do? When they're incentivized with free money, people are going to say, oh, sure, I'll use this digital currency. What's the difference? And, and that's the danger. Free money makes people stupid zombies. And so we've, we've got to... That's why I'm very enthusiastic about doing things like bit wages, where we, we pay our people and give them an opportunity to take part of their wages or all of their wages in Bitcoin and invest their, their, crypt, their 401ks in Bitcoin. I want people to understand there's an option before they think the only option is from their friend, Uncle Sam. And that's, 
that's what I think is happening. I think we're going to see some crazy things in the next 10 years, and we're not going to recognize the financial system in 2030 compared to 2021. Do you think uh, Fortune 1 or 200 company is going to have that foresight? You mentioned bit wages, that sort of thing. Is that going to happen? And if it is, all of this, I'm curious. It sounds like to me you're thinking timeline is pretty short. I don't know. Not that you can project anything, but you know, this isn't like there's a school of thought that this isn't our generation's problem. We're about the same age, but maybe our kids are going to have to deal with, with this fallout, with the dollar collapsing, so on and so forth. Are you seeing it sooner than that? Are you seeing this as a, if you're a 40-year-old man or woman, you know, you're going to deal with this before you hit that Social Security retirement age, which is what a lot of people rely on. Or do you see it as a further out problem? Is it too big right now uh, to go south that quickly? It's accelerating. So it's going to be something that we see the problem and the collapse is going to be in less than 20 years. It could be in less than 10. There's there's a lot of very smart people, way smarter than me, that talk about how over the next 10 years, we're likely to continue down this path. We're going to see real estate going up. All these things are going to happen. But what what one thing you'll notice if you watch the headlines and you pay attention to crypto, we're, we're seeing companies jumping on like Visa just today was talking about how they're going to roll out and they're going to, they're really helping support all these crypto Visa cards and there's a reason because when one company, whether it's Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch or whoever says, oh, we're going to allow people to have crypto and PayPal says that and then Square says that and Jack Dorsey says we're going to. Okay, so when all these things happen, then guess what happens? The people that have assets like, like the Fidelities say, wait a second, people are pulling their money and going somewhere else. We don't want those assets to go away because our balance sheet shrinks. So they say, well, we'll do it too. Well, then it, it's, it's a snowball. There's a snowball effect on everybody wanting to jump in because it's, a, it's pure greed. And, and like Gordon Gecko said, greed is good. It gets people to focus on something like they don't want their company to implode. So it's, a, it's, it's self-preservation. And, I, and you, you see that over and over. Michael Saylor has done a great deal with, with his, his work in, at MicroStrategy in terms of bringing awareness to, to Bitcoin and what its potential is. But one of the things that we learned about at the conference in Miami that we were both at was was the, the unbanked thing. And, and, what, and what this means is there's 4 billion people in the world that are unbanked, that are sitting there that basically don't exist. Most of those people don't even really have an identity. So if you don't have an identity and you can't bank, you're stuck. You want to talk about a glass ceiling? Like I live in the South in Alabama, and a lot of people think there's a glass ceiling around here. But if you're in a place like Syria or even El Salvador, and you don't have the ability to bank, how do you actually ever get ahead? How do you have any freedom? So to me, the, the idea behind crypto and why this is such a big deal and how this, this brings half the planet into our ecosystem. And here's the coolest part. When people are part of an ecosystem based on commerce and free will and free, just freedom of exchange, guess what stopped happening? War. Because war is about compartmentalizing people and making them a villain and making them scary. And we never, like America doesn't go to war with Canada because we trade with them. They're our biggest trading partner. And, and if we start doing that, if we start seeing people as people and not as adversaries, like, you know, some little goat farmer in the middle of Afghanistan is not our enemy. He's vilified to be part of something that's bad. But when that guy is somebody that we trade with, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa don't go bomb the guy. Go, go find the bad guy. But don't go just like attack this group. And, and part of, a big part of this is commerce. And people don't realize that, that commerce is the way to freedom and to end war. That's how it has to happen. That's yeah, a compelling case. You made a very compelling case. I didn't realize until I went to the Bitcoin conference how crypto is as, as more of a, a movement than an investable asset, it seems, at least for those that are really tuned into uh, to crypto, to Bitcoin and all of that stuff. And actually, even within Bitcoin, it's like there's Bitcoin, there's not crypto. Bitcoin is crypto. Everything else is garbage, right? That's kind of the mindset there. 
with crypto, I'm curious. So for the for the for the person that you might serve, for the person that you might give advice to, or even for yourself, I guess you, you mentioned like you know your employees have the option to take their wages, take their retirement, all in crypto. Do you do you recommend or do you for yourself hold a certain percentage of net worth in crypto? Or are you all in on crypto? I'm just kind of curious what your what your thoughts are from a, a standpoint of I'll, look. I talked to people. One person had sixty thousand dollars to his name, and he's like, I'm buying a bunch of crypto. I felt like that wasn't a good move, but maybe you would disagree with that. I did that in 2017. I basically took what I, what little I had, and it wasn't actually that much. I mean, it was maybe $100,000, and I basically put it all into crypto. That was a really fun decision in 2017 when crypto went off a cliff and lost 80%. And it was, so I had that experience. I don't, at this point, because we have institutional adoption and we have sovereign wealth funds and we have countries that are moving in, we don't, it's not a retail movement. It, it is, and that people are becoming aware, but it's way beyond that. So it's not just, the people that are the, uh, what we call them, the, uh, what is it, the uh, number go higher, you know, like the people that just want Bitcoin to go higher so they make some money and they're all excited about Dogecoin and they're going to make, like, I, I bought Milkcoin a month or so ago and it went up 600% in 24 hours and I thought I was a genius and then it went down about 6 million percent and I basically lost my, my 8,000 bucks and I thought, why in the hell did I just do that? And it was because I wanted, part of me wanted to experiment, part of me was going, I can just make quick money. The problem with a lot of people is they're making quick money, but you know who's actually buying and holding all the Bitcoin is the long-term whales. They're buying it at these levels. They're happy to keep, they're piling it up. And in the shorter term, the near-term buyers are selling. So that just tells you that, that the mass psychology is it's hurting the, re, the retail players because they don't see the, the future. And, and, and I see the future. So to answer your question about what do I hold, I, I hold anything that I don't need in terms of liquidity. So for my business, my personal life, Dollars are what we transact most things in. And so there's a certain need. And I think going to zero or having $5 in your checking account and then trying to figure out how to navigate through your, your, just your normal life is challenging. I don't have excess cash that is not in crypto or gold or silver or, or hard assets, but it's, it's heavily in those spaces because I trust them. Why do I trust them? Because I can control them because I hold them. I hold my crypto. I hold my gold. And, and if, it's, if somebody else is holding it, I don't trust stocks. I have all of $5,000 in stocks. You know what it's in? It's in Coinbase. And it's, so it's, I'm, I'm investing in things that I actually understand to a certain extent and that I believe in. I don't invest in things just because they're going to make me money. Jamie, if I thought that, I'd go invest in a bunch of strip clubs because they produce cash, like a lot of cash. It's a cash machine. It's like an ATM on legs. Or in stilettos. In stilettos. <laughs> in, in clear, clear high heel shoes. With yeah. Something. Yeah. Not that I've been to this place, but yeah, something like that. No, man, it's a compelling case. And again, I love, I love your mission. I love your message. I love the, uh, I, I was showing you before, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Damien Lupo uh, customer, right? EQRP is, uh, is near and dear to my heart. It's been, it's been an incredible, uh, I didn't even know about it. Actually, in GoBundance, somebody posted, I was just getting ready to roll to an IRA. And then I heard about what's this QRP thing? And what's this checkbook? I could get crypto. I could, I can invest in a syndication, like with my retirement funds. You're kidding me all uh, made possible. And you can with an IRA, but not like you can with this, not the ease, not the control. It's mine. It's not somebody else's to kind of facilitate for me. So I love it. Now I do want to appease those that might be listening that are, I forget what you call them, the crypto make it go hires. I'm going to ask this and you can tell me, edit this out. I'm not going to put this out there, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Where do you project Bitcoin's value being in December of 2021? In December of 2021, End of the year. Oh boy. A lot of people are giving big numbers for the end of this year. They're giving a lot of reason for it. If Damian Lupo was making a projection, and it's only that, disclaim all the way around. Do you think it's going way up, staying same, going way down? But I look, 
in, in full disclosure, I'm with you. Like when I buy Bitcoin in my retirement account, it's because I'm looking at the long game of it. It's not like, okay, let, let me watch this every day, right? And I say to people, if you're going to use Bitcoin as a, as, a, as a cash thing, put some in there where you don't want to look at it every day or crypto. You don't want to look at the price every day. Just let it go. Over time, you'll probably be happy. But do you see this having a big short-term increase right now just with all that's going on? Because it's, it's gotten rocky in the recent, uh, in the recent past of the time of the, that we're recording this. Yeah, and and what what that is, it, it's it's washing out all the skittish investors that are yeah. just only okay with things going up every day. And when it when it goes down, like I, I was happy to buy Bitcoin at fifty eight. Yeah, I th- I may have even bought some at sixty thousand a coin, and now it's half that. And that doesn't bother me at all because in what I see is I, I see blockchain analysis. I see where people who's holding, who's buying, who's selling, and when you see who's Who's actually selling? It's the little, it's the little fish that are coming in, getting excited. It goes down. They freak out. They sell to somebody else that's yeah. holding and not doing anything. Like MicroStrategy is not raising four hundred million, six hundred million dollar bond funds, or or they're not doing positions that are they're going to take and trade Bitcoin. They're buying it and putting it on their balance sheet permanently. Michael Saylor is not stupid, and these institutions that are buying and and the bigger players, that's what I'm following. I think that there's, uh, it's likely that we've we're at a close. We're in a place where we're likely to have washed out most of the retail skittish investors or speculators, if you will, and and they're not they're 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 going to be they're gone. So are they going to come back in? Yeah, they're going to go in and out. They're going to buy high and sell low. That's what they do. So that's fine. The, the so the, the, to answer the question, my, my guess is that we're going to see a lot of institutional buying that's going to continue to go on, and it's going to it's created a floor. We could see a big regulatory stab at the price where something could happen. The IRS could say, okay, we're going to, we're going to tax. Then, then everybody just moves to Puerto Rico or something. Yeah. But, or they, they invest in, in their Roth EQRP and then they don't pay taxes at all. Point. I think that we know the regulations are coming. We know that there's a push. We know Congress is incompetent. They have no idea what they're doing. They can barely spell Bitcoin except for Cynthia Loomis up in, in Wyoming. She's pretty savvy and there are a few, but... I, my, my guess is that, that Bitcoin is likely to be at eighty to one hundred thousand the end of the year because of the institutional push, and we may see it. We may see a pullback in the next few months where it could go from thirty to ten because of regulation. It could pop that fast. It could happen over in, in one day because you know the, the new SEC uh, Gensler comes out and says, "Hey, we're going to do this. It's now this, and you have to have this," and it blows up a lot of people that have invested in it in terms of their their funds or or the companies. So. There's a lot of unknowns in this, but the big momentum is from the institutions or the bigger buyers like Michael Saylor and, 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 and PayPal. And, and so that pressure, that's not something you just break through and it's very slow moving. And so when you have momentum from that, and if you look at like one to 3% of the Fortune 500 company balance sheets, if they're, if they're pushed by their boards to say, we need to have exposure to this, you start seeing the amount of billions and billions of dollars that represents and that is a very bullish sign for, for crypto. So all these things, these macro things, I look at math psychology and I go, okay, this is cool. I can get some Bitcoin on sale if I want to buy some more. And, I, and I'll buy more. I'm good with my position now, but I, I'm not going to keep cash. And I think a lot of people that are savvy to what's going on, here's the thing. People say, well, what's, that seems risky. And I'm like, okay, so you want certainty. So you want dollars that are going to depreciate by 15 to 20%. So you want that certainty? Yeah. That's what you think is good? And they go, well, uh, it's still dollars. I'm like, yeah. And you get less stuff every year, guaranteed. That's what's happening. So I like crypto because especially Bitcoin, because it is finite. It is, you cannot manipulate it. It's open code. And that's, that's a huge difference between that and what the government's doing and a central bank digital currency where you have no idea how much is being 
printed, I mean, added into a ledger on a central bank that, that has no accountability. I'm all in for Bitcoin. The hell with the central bank stuff. Gotcha. So, uh, so everyone's clear. You're, you're a big Bitcoin guy then you would say, right? <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Bitcoin. I, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, I love the philosophy and people say, well, which, what about this? And I'm like, I have no idea. Let me look at the, the white paper. Let me understand the team. What, what's, what problem are they solving? I, don't, I will not invest in another get up fast milk coin or anything else. I don't, I'm not going to put the mental bandwidth into it. I, I, I lost like four days of my life doing that, Jamie. All yeah. I could do is watch every 15 seconds. What's going on? Because it was moving all over the place. I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy a Toyota. Now I'm going to buy a Bentley. And like, ah, oh, this is amazing. And, and, then I, and then I could barely buy a pack of gum after the wow, thing went man. off a cliff. <laughs> I get it. I get it. No, interesting stuff, man. And yeah, some of that in there for me was just, I'm curious, selfish. I love to learn from people like you who really study the stuff and, and have the people around you that, uh, that do the same. Again, that conference you went to, the Real Estate Guys Conference, uh, incredible stuff. I remember pre-COVID, they had a great series, like a, a webinar series, 13, 14, uh, uh, webinar se- uh, 13, 14 episode web- webinar series about navigating COVID. Some incredible speakers on both sides of the aisle, Peter Schiff on the gold side, and then somebody who says Peter Schiff doesn't know what he's talking about. It was really great. So uh, that proximity for you has really served you, I know. And uh, I just I love extracting knowledge. So I appreciate you going deep on that. Let's dive into the one sheet. We're going to go uh, pillar by pillar. We'll do this in, in fairly quick fashion. You're kind of a lightning round version of it, but let's just learn a little bit more about you. So we're going to start with horizontal income. What is your yearly horizontal income and how many lines of income is that? It's interesting because most of my efforts have been into my business. So horizontal income right now is about 95,000 and that's from DeFi farming. So it's very narrow. It's one thing. It's and so what, it, I'm sorry? DeFi farming, which is decentralized financial farming. This is where you're, you're providing liquidity to pools of coins for people to any type of crypto exchange needs liquidity. It needs a bunch of Bitcoin and a bunch of Ethereum for people to go in there and swap those coins. When you swap them, there's fees. Those fees have to go somewhere. If somebody puts up the liquidity, if they put up the Bitcoin or Ethereum, they're paid, they're paid returns. And so there's, there's a pretty remarkable opportunity. It's better than any real estate I've ever seen. It's better than any, anything I've ever seen. The DeFi farming is, is where I put my efforts for horizontal right now. Interesting. No, that's great. That's actually unique to uh, any guest I've talked to so far. So that's excellent. I appreciate you sharing that. What percentager does 95,000 make you if you're, if you're aware? What percentager? Yeah. Like what percentage of your, of your expenses are covered by the 95,000 in horizontal income? Uh, probably 50%. Okay. All right. So, so uh, uh, is that something that you continue to focus on or are you just really enjoying the active work you do? Do you continue to look for horizontal income streams or is it more like, hey, look, I just want to keep building and building and, and I'm enjoying life generally. So I'm enjoying what I'm doing because it's, it's so mission driven. So it's, yeah. it gets me up and keeps me going. Uh, the, if, if, I've got, if I've got money, I'm not putting it into my business. I'm putting it into that. And so I'm growing that because that's, that's the, what's interesting about that is you start to realize how much money the financial system, the banks have been making, and they pay people one or two or 3%, you know, in years past now it's 0.1 or 0.2 or 0.3. And you realize that in reality, so a lot of the DeFi farms are 15, 20, 50, hundred percent, a thousand percent returns a year. And so just what I just said is actually true. So, you know, like the stuff that I'm doing, it's, it's been 50 to 60% on an annualized basis for since I've been doing it. And so you can start thinking about that. Banks have been doing that for decades. They just haven't told anybody. Right. And what's happening is all those profits are going into this space. So if I'm going to do something that's, 
that's got the potential that's horizontal. I mean, that's, it just sits there. I just create liquidity. And then I'm part of the solution because I'm creating liquidity for exchanges, for people to be able to work through the system. I'm creating the blood in the system that allows the life to happen. So that's, that's good enough for me. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy there. Mission driven. Mission driven is what I take from from most yeah. all of what you do, right? It's really what you focus on, and I think that's something people people uh, uh, that I've learned from GoBundance, you and others, that you know that's really the more the point of it. I was talking to somebody else about uh, people that want the private jet, and it's like, well, no, I don't want the private jet. Want the want the impact that makes the private jet necessary, right? Like it's not the not the item. It's what you're doing and how you're serving, and you're you're very much focused in on that. Love it. Yeah, and oh, and one thing about the jet, which I think is interesting too. So the jet is, it's a, it's a side effect. It's a consequence and, and an outcome from doing the thing that's mission-based. And people can make, people can go out there and do things that are illegal and make a ton of money and get a jet. That's one option. It's not sustainable. Those people end up getting things like cancer or something because there's so much bad karma. I believe that. Yeah. The other thing about the thing like a jet is for me, and this is anybody I've ever talked to that's had a jet, they say, my accountants tell me it's stupid unless you get to write the thing off because of bonus depreciation or whatever. But what they'll say, and, and like David you know, says this kind of, it, yeah. the time that you get, you can't save time. You can only spend it. So what are you going to spend it on? Bouncing through security and having people grope you at, at, a, at an airport? Or are you going to have an actual private jet where you go direct, you, you save time, you're with your family, you're focused, you're clear, you're clean. And, and that, that's a big part of it. It's not just that it's a side effect, but a lot of things are a side effect. When you make millions of dollars, you can have a lot of things that represent the side effect. The question is, how does this now enhance your life and help other people? If I'm getting better sleep, if I'm more focused, more people are going to be free. So I have to do things like that because if I, if I cheap out, if I become one of those guys that says, oh, it's expensive, like it's a stupid thing. If I do that, less people are free. So I, I get leverage on myself by saying, do I believe in freedom or slavery? If I believe in slavery, I should go coach. If I believe in freedom, I should have a jet. So like that really creates a push for me to go in one direction versus the other. Makes perfect sense. I love that. Thank you for that. That was actually a great, a great uh, aside, if you will. Um, let's go over to age-defying health. So how much do you weigh and what is your current body fat percentage? Uh, 185 body fat is 24. 24%. Uh, what's the daily diet look like? Exercise routine? Talk about, a bit about that. So uh, daily diet is, is mostly plant-based and uh, it's, it's shifting more keto. And, and that's, I, I just noticed that I feel a lot better. I'm a lot more focused. My body responds better to it. I, it's, it's less things that are dead calories. I enjoy wine. I enjoy beer. Less of that is, is better for my system. Well, one of the things that I'm very clear about is that what goes in my, my system is more important than the activity. So you can have a really bad diet and then work out a ton and you're really, it's not, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So it's the inputs that matter more than anything. And then in terms of, in terms of, of physical, uh, the activity, the, the rhythm is a lot of yoga and, and a lot of hiking and then some resistance training. Nice. Nice. Very good. Uh, picking it all up in, uh, in Alabama, finding the places you need to go, getting it, getting it done. <laughs> yeah, actually going to get a part of the facility that I'm going to be opening is going to have a studio for, for the martial arts, the, the Yokido that I developed. We're going to have a studio there and people have been asking right around, around the world asking, where, where can I do this? And well, wherever Damien is, is where it can be done. And so it's going to be done in Alabama to start with, and people can actually train here. And, and so I'll be spending a lot of time doing that too, because it's, it's such a part of my heart. And, and it really impacts people not only physically, but physiologically, spiritually, emotionally. It's, a, it's, it's kind of an all-encompassing all uh, training and practice, if you will. I love it. All right, let's run through, because I want to talk about the martial arts. Actually, thanks for the reminder on that. But let's run through real quick. Tell me about family, married, kids, anything like that? 
uh, girlfriend, no kids. Um, some, some clients I have, I feel like are the, like the two-year-old, the toddlers, like sometimes they're make, you know, they make you crazy. You're like, what are you talking about? But no, no, no kids, uh, no kids yet. Uh, but do, do have a girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. They, the women love the ball. So it makes sense that, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. some, I, some guys that have great heads of hair, I go, man, when you go and ball, they're like, I'm not doing that. And I go, you don't understand yeah. the, the ladies love it. And they it's do. so simple and streamlined, although it gets cold when you're in a cold room. So just make sure you have a top cap or something. I do wear hats later into the cold season than most people do. I completely yeah. agree with you on that. Um, all right. Contribution wise, do you have a give back ratio or maybe just an amount or time that you give back that you're passionate about? So the give back, so the ratio in terms of um, what I give, the, the goal is, is to give 80 plus percent of, of what, I'm, what I'm making and to live off the other 20. Uh, right now, it's, it's the inversion. So it, it's give 20% and, and it's living off of 80. And the other, the 80 is really reinvesting in, in my businesses. I, to me, the biggest charity I can, I can perform is, is by hiring more. It's expanding. It's not taking cash and giving it away. It's mostly building wealth and reinvesting it and hiring more people and expanding because the mission keeps people broken out of their shackles. So to me, there's nothing greater that I can do charity-wise than that, even though I love stroking the checks and I love supporting people's work that they're doing that I have nothing to do with other than being able to financially support it. But there's, I think a lot of people miss that. They say, well, I'm, you know, I'm just going to make money and then I'm going to give it away. And I'm like, yeah, but you have a really great talent in creating the impact in your business. That is, think about that charity. Like nonprofit isn't necessarily great, can be, but the focus of not being profitable sometimes is a dumb focus. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Be uh, what is it? Be generous with your profits, not with your business, or something like that. I've heard, right? So, no, I like that. Let's go to extreme accountability real quick. Who's in your GoPod, and how often do you meet? Uh, so the GoPod is Mike Ayala, Hans, Fox, uh, Brent, Flowing, and um, and Justin Jarbo, and we meet. We we have been meeting every week. We we started doing that at the beginning of of COVID, and really just navigating together because it was a big mystery about what was happening in the world. And so it provided a lot of a lot of support and help, and now it's every couple of weeks. Yeah, anything particular you're discussing right now, or uh, we're yeah, I think like a lot of people, we're trying to make sense of of the manipulation because they're fundamentally it's it's almost impossible to to even have a formula because there's when you have the system printing money and you have the spending by by governments all over the world, it impacts everything. And so to make decisions on what business you're going to do, how you're going to invest, whether things are likely to be at a top or just starting, it's really hard to do that. So we're, we're navigating together and, and then doing our best to see around the corner. So we, we, talk about, we talk about that stuff a lot. Just the, one of the focuses that I like to focus on is what people are taking action on, not what they're just brainstorming about. I think it's easy to pontificate or have a theory around something. I don't give a crap most of the time when people have that stuff. I want to know what they're doing and, and what you're learning from it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a high growth type of person. I, I want to be around people that are growing by doing. And so if people are just talking, I don't really have much interest in hanging out with them. You got a great group there. I mean, Brent's local to me. Justin's kind of in my, uh, where my heart is in Boston, that, that area. And then Mike and Hans, I mean, that's a, it's an incredible pot. So good for you. Good group yeah. to be around. Let me, oh, uh, and, and we, and not to forget, we, we also have um, our, our, man of many, many locations. Uh, Tom Burns is also a part of it. And so he, he's there and, and he's, he's relatively new to, to go abundance and anybody that hasn't met him should meet him and spend time with him because he's, he's probably the, the most, the, the most humble person I've ever met in my life. And one of the most successful and just the nicest guy you'll ever hang out with. So if you haven't met him yet, 
and you're in GoBundance or not, I would highly encourage everybody to go meet him. Very cool. Very cool. Let's, uh, I want to hear about your, your martial art quickly. Can you give us in like, you know, 60 seconds, what is this martial art that you created and why? So you, when, when anybody trains in martial arts, something that happens, and Bruce Lee talked about this, you end up training in a lot of different things. And it's something starts to happen where you become this mishmash hodgepodge collection of things. And you throw out the stuff that doesn't work and things that do work that resonate with you and your energy and your spirit become your thing, your style. So Yokido, the, the art that I, that I founded a number of years ago was a blend of the Aikido, the classical Aikido, which is Steven Seagal stuff that you see in where you think you're moving around, you move around somebody and you redirect their energy. It was a combination of, of Aikido and yoga and a lot of breath work and core strength and Reiki. And if you haven't heard of Reiki, Reiki is healing hands. It's a, it's a way to heal something or somebody. So the idea behind, uh, behind Yokido, it's, it's about going into relationship with people and somebody that's, that's got conflict or hostility. It's going into relationship with them, re- releasing tension, redirecting the wherever they're going and healing them as you let them go past you. And so ultimately what happens is everybody's better off, nobody gets hurt, and the world gets healed. Is there, do you have, uh, are there studios doing this now? Have you marketed this? Or is this just something that you, like how, does, how do you create it and what does it do now? Is it, is it a business or is it just a passion? So it, it, I was teaching it in Austin when I was out there before I left Austin a few years ago. And, and at the studio that I, I taught at, that's what I would teach. So people thought they were coming for something and they ended up getting you a keto. They didn't know it, but that was what was happening. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like, give them what they want, sell sell them what they want, give them what they need. And what people needed is they needed an understanding of tension and relationship and reducing conflict and the ultimate idea of healing people that you didn't necessarily love or want to be around. And so it's that I was doing it there. It'll be opening again in, in Alabama. Uh, Now that I'm, I'm anchored here, I've been here all of a month. And so it's, but it'll, it'll be here and, and where it goes, it's, it's up to Yokito. Um, and I say that because this is more of a spiritual journey. It's, it's not, there's no business model. And on purpose, like I've spent more money than all I've ever made in martial arts. And I love that. It's, it's part of how I support it. So I, I don't have any intention of it being a business model. Could it happen? Yeah. What I have an intention for is that this martial art helps people to become a calmer, cleaner, clearer, focused, mission-based, and to help heal the world. I love it. Mission. Mission again. It all comes back to that. All right. Let's wrap up with a question from the GoBundance card deck. This is the Ten of Hearts. Matters not at all, but here you go. Yeah, I told you. It's not too bad. I told you at the beginning. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's a pretty good one. If you cashed it all in to live in to live to one spot forever. I think it's supposed to be in one spot forever. So if you catch it all in to live in one spot forever, where would it be? Where would the one spot be? Oh, man. You know, I used to, I probably would have said that used to have been, it used to be San Diego and it would have been amongst a, a group of cool people. But the problem with San Diego is it's still in California. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I think the, I'm Italian, and I think one of the things that really pulls at me is the connected nature of people in Italy. And to the extent that you can find that in America, here in Alabama, people are very connected. And what I realized is that it's not necessarily someplace that has the best weather. It's, it's, it's a place that, that has the best community. And it's, it's one of the reasons that people will stay in places like Michigan or Ohio or places that are just butt-ass cold, and they won't all move to Florida because all their people are in these places, and they stay there. And, and community is it's incredibly important. And so I'm realizing that more and more. And it's, it's why I'm in Alabama. I moved out here to be a part of my, my crew, my tribe, all, all my, my employees and team members and partners, they're here. 
So it didn't make any sense for me to be off someplace that's beautiful by myself. That's a good way to just, I don't know, go off a cliff and die because we need community. It's part of our social capital. And, and so ultimately, wherever that is, is where you should be. And it's very John Kabat-Zinn, wherever you go, there you are. And, and so I, I think that this is as close as I'm going to be. And, and maybe, that's, maybe that one place will end up being in Italy or, or someplace, but it's always going to be focused on community going forward. It's not just because it has pretty things to look at. It's incredible to say that. I move, I'm an East Coast guy. I moved from New York to Boston that eventually out here with my job at the time. And when I left my job, everybody asked, are you leaving? And it's like, you know what? Our kids are happy. We're in a great spot. People are nice. Back when I first moved here, people were bringing cookies over and stuff. And being a Northeastern guy, my reaction was like, well, what do you want? Like, what's the, right. what's the, you know, what, what's the end game here? Like, what, what's your problem kind of thing? And like, it's going to be nice. And I've learned to accept that that's just what it is. It's a nice community of people who just want to serve one another as neighbors. So... Damien, how can people learn more about you, your 12 books, your, your EQRP, EQRP company? What's the best place for people to reach out or learn more about you? Uh, learning about EQRP, just go to eqrp.co and, and you can learn about it. You can get a copy of the QRP book that I wrote and I'll send it out to you. It's, it's uh, my, my treat to be able to send it out to people that are curious about learning and they'll take action. And I like people reaching out to me on LinkedIn with non-robotic questions. And the, Jamie, the, the worst, the worst thing I'll send, a, I'll send a response to everybody that, that reaches out to me and I'll say, so how do I know you? Have we met? And the worst thing is, well, I just thought you might be interesting to be connected to. So I think we should connect. What do you do? And you know what I do? I unconnect from them immediately because I like, what are you doing? You're wasting all of our time. Like put some, it's, it's like dating on match.com, just sending the same message to everybody and hoping it sticks. Like, I don't want that kind of person in my life, you know, spend some time really send me something thoughtful. Hey, I really appreciated the five minutes or the one line quote, or, or I just, I, I'd like to learn more. Here's what I'm doing. And, and I thought you might have insights into this, but make it personal. And guess what? You're going to have a new friend. That's interesting. Yeah. I just ignore and Maybe I should start responding back and seeing what comes of it. Cause otherwise I, I'm like, how do people connect on LinkedIn? It's all garbage. It's all robotic. Like you said, but uh, that's a good tactic. So Damien, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on today. Love that you took the hat off. It makes me feel better about me. So thank you for that as well. And uh, yeah, I'll see you in Steamboat, it sounds like. And uh, look forward to seeing you there. Looking forward to seeing you too. And, and it's all about really building your self-esteem. So I took the hat off so that you feel better about what you're doing. And you know, it's glad to have you in the, in the host. Community. I'm allowed that. I'm allowed to getting a little bit of, uh, a little bit of self-esteem boost from my guests. So Hey, man, we're here for you. Happy to do it. All right, man. Thanks again. I'll talk to you soon. And uh, again, great having you on. Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. The wrong tribe confounds. The right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller, Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. Thank you for tuning in to the Go Abundance podcast. We hope to see you at a live event in the near future. If you're new to us, Here's a quick explanation of our programs. Number one, Emerge, a web-based journey for millionaires to be. Number two, Ascend, an interactive mastermind, the next stage of our journey. Number three, GoBundance Elite, the original tribe of millionaires. Number four, GoBundance Champions, five million net worth and above. Number five, GoBundance Women, a tribe of amazing badass women. For detailed information on all five of these, Simply find us at GoBundance.com. Until then, grab life big.